This is Sarah. This is Emily. And we are Sisters Take a Side, talking all about Waco. Can you move your mic close to your I face? I just did. Enough. Listen, you just had to listen in on a work call. You understand what kind of day I'm having. Guys, we were getting ready to hit record. And Sarah gets a call from work. And it was the most – I wanted to hit record and record this phone conversation. This was insane. It was the most HR corner with Sarah phone call ever. <laughs> Can I tell you, people are like the I, – I would say probably like the top three comments we get – one of them is about how much they like HR Sarah. <laughs> okay, well, that's just to terrify everyone because uh, HR Sarah is barely HR Sarah. HR Sarah is barely hanging on today, guys. It's It's been a week for HR Sarah. You're hanging on by a thread here, all right? Like, you're doing great. We made it. We're here to we talk about it. this awesome case. I am very excited to do this because, um, because. <laughs> Sorry, I like just lost like some setting thing, so I can't see my mic level now. So, well, you you're coming in loud and clear. Great. Um, I'm actually very excited about this because I don't think you know much about it. My notes are written like they are so well written. I actually kind of want to submit this somewhere. Oh, NPR, are you accepting freelance writers? Sarah Koenig. Oh, don't you? Sarah Squared. Sarah Squared. You could start, you should start a podcast with her. You could be Sarah Squared. That would be cute. I only have one podcast partner. Uh, And that'd be you. Okay. Well, if someone wanted to write in and ask to be your podcast partner, how would they reach you? Well, they could reach me and my one and only ride or die podcast partner at um, our email address, which is sisters.take.a.side at gmail.com. Why is this so hard every time we do this? I don't know. Okay. But it really is. Well, now now tell, tell them how do they find us on the gram? Well, I always get this part wrong, but they can find us at Sisters take a side underscore podcast. Correct. Wow. Ding, 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 ding. Five stars for Gryffindor for you. Thank you. Um, That's our Instagram handle. Um, Yeah. Okay. I think that's that's, that's the best way. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Should you go pour yourself a drink before we get started on this? Listen, I almost did because I was like, we're smooth sailing into the weekend. You got cocky. You got a little, as I like to say to little meatball, who is just learning how to walk, sometimes he like just gets like a little ahead of himself. And I say, sir, you're getting a little big for your britches. It's you right now. Exactly. Exactly like that. Teetering. That's. Around like an 11 month old that's learning how to walk. That's me. It me. Okay. Well, what the heck are we talking about today? Okay. I have so, to take my sweater off for this, actually. I'm please do. You need, yeah. T- I just take okay. some, get some water. Oh, you th- look at this! Look at this big boy I got here. Wow, this big oh, that looks like bottle. a Stanley. I'm jelly. It's. I cannot afford a Stanley water bottle. Are you kidding well, me? Well, it looks like one. Well, yeah, it's a fucking, it's a fake one. Okay. Anyways, that's fine. Okay, so we are talking about Waco today. Now, yes, I have a bad habit. Of watching true crime documentaries. Yes, you do. And then I like to talk about them. <laughs> not, I, unlike, <laughs> not unlike our favorite podcast. 
However, well, my favorite podcast is Sister Sig Aside. Our second favorite podcast. <laughs> um, so I actually, so <laughs> I ended up watching the Waco documentary that just came out mm-hmm. on Netflix. Um, okay. It is, I actually included as a source on my um, my show notes just because like it was so well done, I thought. Um, and like, I am begging to talk about this with someone and like, God bless SHBF because he has been like listening to yes. me pontificate about this forever. That's well, Sarah's boyfriend for those that are confused. My super hot boyfriend. Yes. Yes. Um, who, guys, and I met him for the first time this I last weekend. I know. So Isn't weird. it so exciting? I know. And he is. He is so cute. He's so cute. Okay. Um, anyway. So he like, does not he, listen to this podcast for the record. He's going to have absolutely no idea that we said this. Well, it's so funny. So I was telling him that like that's what I you know, was doing my research on. And he was like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I'm going to tune into that one. I am Yo. fully invested. <laughs> so, Sir, I expect a five-star <laughs> review from you. Um. So yeah. So I've been able to talk to him about it, but I – tried to talk to you about it and you didn't really know anything about it. I know nothing about Waco. I know I think it was some kind of like shootout because I know people like mm-hmm. right like you hear people say and I don't not like people in my personal life. I don't make it sound like I'm like hanging out with people but like you know people say like oh I'm gonna make Waco look like nothing. Like mm-hmm. so I have the understanding that it was some kind of big violent shootout of sorts and that is literally all I know. And I know Mike right now is just like rolling his eyes so hard. Like <laughs> Mike probably thinks you and I just like didn't go to school ever. The amount I think of he's shit very concerned about our public education. <laughs> we just don't know. But I don't know anything about Waco. I have no idea. Well, well, you just buckle in because I have some very good notes. I went down some several rabbit holes. I'm some so of those rabbit it. holes ended up in these notes. So I give it to me. Get ready. All right, so the Waco siege or the Waco massacre was essentially the siege by the U.S. federal government and Texas law enforcement officials of a compound mm-hmm. belonging to the religious uh, – it's referred to as a cult. Uh, I don't love that word, Ooh, but – Well, you love cult shit, though. But I love cult shit, so here we are. Yes, Okay. Um, belonging to the religious cult known as the Branch Davidians between February 28th and April 19th, 1993. The Branch Davidians, who were led by absolute garbage David Koresh, were headquartered at Mount Carmel Center Ranch in the community of Axtell, Texas, which is Mm -hmm. actually like a couple miles northeast of Waco, Texas. So Waco is the like closest geographical. Okay denoter here i guess but it's actually a little northeast of waco texas the 51 day siege was the deadliest government-led assault on u.s soil since the 1890 massacre at wounded knee resulting in the deaths of four federal agents and 82 branch davidians 28 of whom were children no no don't do this to me i know i'm sorry I'll give you a warning when we get to like the. Well, dang, fifty-one days is a significant number of days. Fifty-one days, like you could break a habit and make a new one in fifty-one days. <laughs> I mean, that's wow, a long okay. time. That's a that's a freaking long time. 
So that's my first, like, wow, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. Number two. And again, Mike, I'm sorry. Just stop listening at this point. I didn't realize that the government was involved in this. Oh, girl. <laughs> again, another rabbit hole I went down that like now. And okay. <clears throat> I'm glad you said that. So there is like a big anti-government piece mm-hmm. to what happened at Waco, which is important. Like it feeds into kind of like what happened here. I'm not going to touch on it a whole lot because I kind of feel like that's a whole different, like we could do a whole different podcast on that. Yeah. Um, Like spoiler alert, like Timothy McVeigh shows up at Waco during like this 51 days. Yeah. Because it was all broadcasted like on national television. And for, for the other people that skipped history class like Sarah and I, Timothy McVeigh was the person responsible for the Oklahoma city bombing. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And like, it, like you could tie the reasonings behind the Oklahoma Oklahoma City bombing directly to Waco, mm, yeah. and like to me that's like a whole other, oh, like a whole other podcast, a whole other thing we could do. So I didn't touch on it a whole lot here, but I do want to like just note that like yes, that yeah. yeah. Plus, we um, Sarah, we all have your number and why now. We know you do not come within an inch of this the political government-ness <laughs> of it all. You're perfectly fine going on record saying that you think Scott Peterson's innocent, but you will not oh. even touch anything. Listen, Listen, you will not let the Scott Peterson no, thing go. I, Scott Peterson and fucking Vandersloot from last week. I will not. You won't let it go. I'm not okay. Anyways, okay. moving on. All right, anyway. Let, let me guess. I'm going to find out. You're taking the side of, what is it? What is this, what is this asshole's name? David, David Koresh. Koresh. You're no. gonna be like David Koresh. He was so cute. And no, tall. we'll get into him. We'll let's let's get into let's. What a great place to start. Let's. Who are the Branch Davidians? Let's let's start there. Tell me everything. So the Branch Davidians actually initially started um, as like a small Adventist reform movement in mm-hmm. 1929. So it was started by this guy. His name is Victor. Hotef? Hotef? Don't, don't look know. at you know I don't know how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um so he he founded the Davidians in 1929. Um they're also sometimes so this was kind of confusing and this was like one of the rabbit holes I went down, but the branch Davidians are actually a splinter group mm-hmm. off of the Davidians, who are also known as the General Association of Branch Davidian Seventh Day Adventists. Okay, so this is a this is a group based in Christianity. It's a it's a group based in religion. Um, it's a yes, kind of, but okay. they are a religious group. Okay. Um. So this specific group that we're kind of talking about today is a splinter group that was organized after victor the original founder died we'll get there but just follow me on this journey so like most religious i'm gonna use the word cult here um like like all religious or most religious cults victor this victor guy had complete authority authority of his group um, he mm-hmm. was often viewed by his followers as the only person who could reveal biblical secrets about the end of time. No, if yeah, I hear yeah, the yeah. end of time yeah. one more time, I'm going Whatever. to like, I don't even Let know. me guess. He revealed these secrets to women who slept with him. Oh, girl, just wait. Okay. You just hold on to that little <laughs> nugget. 
<laughs> Only God speaks to my penis. Right. Well. Among some of his teachings, Victor states or stated that he could not and would not die, human nature be damned, but instead he would lead his people to old Jerusalem and therefore to the heavenly Kana. So, of course, it comes as a massive shock to absolutely no one that Victor ultimately ends up dying of heart failure. Bye. Chaos, of course, ensues, um, which leads to instability within the church organizational leadership. And boom, several splinter groups are born, eventually including these branch Davidians in our story today. Okay. So, David Koresh, how does he fit into all of this? So David Koresh was actually born as was born Vernon Howell. And honestly, I probably would have <laughs> changed my name too. Don't fault him for that. Vernon. He, he was originally tapped as the next leader of the Branch Davidians by the previous leader, Lois Roden. So if you remember, the Branch Davidians in our story today were a splinter group yep. organized by Benjamin Roden. Got it. Lois Roden's husband, Benjamin dies lois takes over like which is seems very like progressive i was about to say i was like is i was about to ask you is lois a woman because yes i'm actually shocked yeah and actually so like i didn't include this but like when victor died his wife kind of took over interesting yeah it's i was actually kind of like all right like I look at you, Branch Davidians. Oh, look, we are 13 minutes in this recording and Sarah's already identifying with the <laughs> asshole in the story. Wow, I'm shocked. So surprised. Okay, great. Moving I'm just on. saying. <laughs> so, um, okay. Yeah, so he, David Koresh was sort of tapped by Lois as like the next leader. Lois, mm-hmm. who's like own son... George Roden, she was kind of like, well, like, I'm, like, very taken by this charismatic Bible teacher, mm-hmm. our friend David. Um, David first arrived at Mount Carmel in 1981. He left briefly... <laughs> returned in the mid-1980s and gained a lot of support and a growing following among his fellow Branch Davidians. Okay. He wasn't a regular Branch Davidian. He was a cool Branch Davidian. (laughs) But unfortunately, our friend George, who was the son of the current leader, (laughs) Uh he was able to gain control of Mount Carmel in 1985 and made very quick work of expelling Koresh. Okay. um, And his following at gunpoint. Oh, we're already there with the guns. We're already okay. there. We are, yeah, like. So this, the the heir apparent to this, like, leadership role is chasing off our, the protagonist of our story at, at gunpoint. Yes? Correct. Okay. <clears throat> Correct. Um, of I have course, a feeling he comes back. <laughs> Of course, our not a regular but a cool Branch Davidian guy, David Koresh, does not take this laying down. He resettles in Palestine, Texas, licks his wounds a little bit with some of his, like, friends, followers. Mm -hmm. He then returns to Mount Carmel two years later in an effort to regain control of the Mount Carmel property. Eight men, including Koresh, exchanged gunfire with George on November 3rd, 1987, 
before he and his followers were arrested and charged with attempted murder. Because we're in Texas, of course. (laughs) Um, David and his followers were all acquitted, and his case was declared a mistrial. Dang. All right. In like an absolute WTF turn of events, because our boy George doesn't understand how taxes work, which like fair, he owed thousands of like thousands of dollars in unpaid taxes on Mount Carmel. Mm. So David and his boys were able to raise the funds and reclaim the property. I am thoroughly exhausted. No way. Yeah. That's how David Crush ends up getting Mount Carmel. Well, so okay, so what what is so special about this property? Like, is it the property itself, or is it that, like, the people? Like, this seems like go build your church somewhere else, David. I don't know. This seems yeah. So it's I mean it's like it's like a nine hundred and eighty acre farm. Like in okay, the, so it's in bum fuck Egypt. Like it is so <laughs> far out there. It is like. Okay, so the the appeal is that it is compound like, like you yes. can create your own little like society they there. A com- yeah, like spoiler alert, they create a compound here. That's exactly. Okay. I I see. Okay, and this is really kind of where our story here today starts. So, again, David Koresh changes his name. He is now. Um, perpetuating many distinct Davidian traditions, including Mm. an authoritarian leader, communal life separate from society, the anticipation of the imminent end of the world. Always these people. Always. Always. Once he changes his name, he's really kind of signifying his messianic role in carrying out a a divinely commissioned task of defeating the enemies of God. So translation. Divinely. Divinely? 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 Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Divinely commissioned. Yeah, you, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, this all translates into basically Koresh convinced all of his followers at Mount Carmel that he was their Messiah and the only one who could save them when the apocalypse inevitably unfolded on their doorstep. Remember this because it will come back again. Okay. Little hint. Little, little reader's note for you. Look at you. <laughs> This is most important to our story, though. While just about all previous leaders of the Davidians, remember Victor, Victor. have been pacifists, our friend David was most definitely not. Yeah. Remember all the gunfighting and the that it took to get here? Yeah. Well, Koresh begins stockpiling weapons and ammunition to defend the faithful. I'm talking like hand like hand grenades. I'm talking like, you know that storage unit in my laundry room, the big, like, yes. shelf <laughs> yes. thing? I'm talking, like, rooms in the compound of just those shelves loaded, all loaded with ammunition. Ugh, it's just mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I Okay. I have a couple thoughts. Give me your thoughts. Number one, I'm realizing we should have probably set a trigger warning at the start of this episode for gun violence. <laughs> so if, you, if gun yeah. violence is a sensitive topic for you... Probably not the episode for you. Um, the next thing I'm wondering, so I'm looking, I can see your note and I see Davidians is spelled kind of like David. Is Did he change his name to David because that's the name of the religion? That's a great question. I don't know, but that would make sense. Because when you first said that his name was David and I thought it was called the, I was like, oh, they named this religion after him. No. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I don't know, but that's a rabbit hole I'd be curious to go down. Okay, those are those are my thoughts for right now. Okay. 
All right. So on well, to the okay. scene. No, no, I have oh, one. Nope. <laughs> Rewind. Like, descri- or maybe I should like Google him, but like describe him to me. What like, so he's this charismatic leader. Well, what makes like, was he attractive? Was he a good public? Like, what was his deal? Yeah. So like he was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, he was young. He was like the, he was the cool guy. He was young. He was kind of hip. He was able to get people, give him a gook. Um, yeah, I'm going to Google him real quick. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I mean, he was, I guess, attract. I mean, I don't know. I guess attractive. I don't know if that's your thing. Well, I'm like, not even that I want to be one of those people that's like, oh, look at, look at Ted Bundy, how cute Ted Bundy is. But like, I just, I just feel like there's all, it's always a certain type with these people. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I, okay, I'll Google him. You keep going while I okay. figure out how I feel about him. So on to the siege of it all. So as I said, the Branch Davidians lived on a farm, like a way out there farm. Like not the kind of farm that Liz keeps saying that she's going to buy for us no. all to live on and have chickens. <laughs> not, not that, that kind of farm. farm. I'm talking mm-hmm. like way out there. In fact, both the Davidians and the Branch Davidians had lived in pretty much isolation from the rest of the Waco community. Hmm. Waco itself is actually a city with fairly deep religious roots. So the Branch Davidians were kind of like generally accepted and allowed to practice their own religious beliefs without a whole lot of interference. Okay. Other than the brief local media attention that they received in 1987 for that shootout of power. Mm-hmm. They were largely unheard of until they weren't. So once Koresh okay. assumed – Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. I finally pulled a picture of our guy. I, I'm i kind of into it. I, You know how I feel about long hair. You, it, It's your thing. I like a, I like a good head of hair. I get it. I, I, I see – which, guys, my husband is bald. <laughs> so make that make sense. Um. Okay, I get it. Okay, I, I just wanted yeah. to fully understand what I was dealing with here. Okay, please. Good. Continue. Okay, so I'm glad you have a picture of him in your mind as I go into this next part. So once Koresh assumed power, again, he began, like, increasingly incorporating, like, more radical ideas into his messages. Some of those more radical ideas included God instructing him to build an army of God to prepare for the end of days. Again, drink every time I say end of days. <laughs> Encouraging his followers to stockpile ammunition and weapons. <laughs> and, of course, because this train never late to the station, God would really prefer if Koresh could procreate with all the women in the group in well, yeah. order to establish a house of David. So, obviously, he had to take obviously. multiple wives. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pause for a little Sarah side note here. In 1993, the Waco Tribune Herald will publish the Sinful Messiah series. We'll talk Mm -hmm. about it in a little bit, which will allege that Koresh had physically abused children and committed statutory rape by Mm -hmm. taking several underage, like 11-year-old women as brides. No, 11-year-old girls. Girls, I'm sorry. 11-year-old girls. I'm so sorry. Um, I intended to like make some jokes and we kind of poked at it a little bit earlier about how like, of course, this man used religion to justify having sex with every other guy's wife. But we don't joke about rape on this podcast. So I am putting this here to say that, like, this is a very serious allegation. I can't find – couldn't find any documented – there was nothing – no, nothing I could find that was documented evidence that this allegation is fact, but it is – We have no reason to believe that it's not. We have no reason to believe that it's not. And it's a big justification that will come up later – 
Um, so I want to note it here. We see it. We're, we're recognizing it here. And that's that. Yeah, I don't. Well, and like to me, like there's a big difference between like religions where you take multiple wives like that's traditional in some religions Mm -hmm. and that's fine but that's very like when you're a consenting adult that's one thing when you're talking about 11 year old children that's not I mean that's so yeah no of course we're not joking about that because that's something very different than some stupid fucking cult later being like I think I need to have sex with all of your wives yeah I mean he so he was breaking up he was breaking up families he was telling Husbands, they were no longer allowed to sleep with their wives, and their wives could only sleep with him. What fucking because like, of course energy. because like this is never <laughs> right like yeah anyway Ugh. so I hate okay. him he sucks he sucks do you feel badly now that you said you're kind of into you kind of feeling it yeah did you really have to be like <laughs> oh and he raped eleven year olds after I was sorry. like I kind of dig the long hair oh my god okay well sorry fuck me i guess all right so that's this is who we're dealing with right um i think we can all kind of agree here that the idea of a group of isolated religious fanatics who believed that they were an army of god amassing stockpiles of ammunition and weapons is kind of like a very concerning issue we weren't the only ones who are thinking that during a routine delivery to the compound, because even the Davidians needed their Amazon Prime deliveries, in 1992, a local UPS representative by the name of Larry Gilbreth discovered firearms, inert grenade casings, and black powder in a broken package on the compound. To which I say, excuse me, if you are amassing God's army, could you, like, I don't know, be better at that? Like, why is your shit just laying around in tattered boxes everywhere right. for any unassuming person to find it? Like, what are you doing? Be what? organized. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. I need so much more information about Larry. Yes. So I imagine. Need, you know UPS. this is my favorite thing to do, to pretend this poor, the poor hapless people in these stories that are just doing their goddamn fucking jobs. They're God, he's a goddamn UPS driver. Could you let the man just... Deliver your packages, which you're just going to leave laying around on the ground anyway, right? The man had to drive out to Timbuktu to bring this to you. Could you put your grenade casings away? And what are you doing? He's like, I got to get home to Shirley. I don't have time to fill out a goddamn incident report about the fucking grenade. (laughs) What am I doing here? Shirley's got the pot roast on and ready to go. My guy, get it together. Over. I have to. I'm done with this. Get it together, Larry. I'm obsessed with you. Poor Larry. Poor Larry. (sighs) Poor guy. He immediately books it out of there. I mean, yeah. Same. And contacts authorities because, yeah. Good for him. (laughs) Yeah. I I probably would be like, meh, it's probably fine. Nothing to see here. Ammo? I don't know her. Who? Honestly, I probably wouldn't even know what it was. I'd be like, hmm, wonder what that stuff is. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) What's that skull and crossbones doing? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. Um, So in May of 1990, happy birthday, Sarah's born, the world's better place. girl. Happy birthday. Thanks. Chief Deputy Daniel Weinberg of the McLennan County Sheriff's Department contacts the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, our good old friends at ATF. Hey, girl. About this um, allegation. 
ATF decides to launch a formal investigation of June of that year and mm-hmm. begin surveilling Mount Carmel from a house that was like kind of a cross. It was like far enough away that it was like kind of unassuming from the compound, okay. but close mm-hmm. enough that they could like surveil. Okay. The surveillance basically backed up everything that our friend Larry said. Koresh and his followers were stockpiling, like, on truthfully, like, all jokes aside, a mind-blowing amount of weapons and ammunition. Like, when Texas starts getting itchy about the number of firearms that you have, like, it's probably time to reevaluate what you're doing, right? Like, oh. I'm just saying, like, when Texas oh. is like, girl, <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's time to reevaluate your choices, I think. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, okay, can I have a thought? Have, ple- have as many, have a lot of thoughts. And this is going to surprise, okay, because this is not usually, oh, you know me, this go. is, this is not usually the side I take. Okay. Um, I think it's a little weird that they immediately start surveilling these people just because they have, like, firearms. So, sure, it's not the having the firearms, it's the amount Mm-hmm. It's the possible illegal firearms. Okay. It's the like, what are you doing with grenades? It's the okay. See, and again, like you know, this is not my. But I'm kind of like, well, right. but the Second Amendment gives them the right to do that. Totally. Why am I even saying this? I guys, don't know. I'm very, guys, su- I'm very surprised because I'm the one who's like, oh, yeah, like have a firearm. Who cares? We're like, I'm guys. You, I am very anti-firearm i am anyways um but i'm yeah i'm kind of like it's a good point to raise i'm kind of like this feels like but i guess your point is that it was so significant that it's like what could these people possibly be doing correct with this correct Hmm. this was not a and i mean you you have to like it's a comp it's a compound it's not a it's not a large family it's like I see. Yeah, fifty, sixty people living. Right. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. a very large group of men, women, and children, all living on this gigantic pro- compound property. Yeah, with a an alarmingly alarming amount of firearms, but it, and possibly point, illegal firearms, like like but machine at this guns. Point, and, they had no reason to believe that there was like child abuse or anything like that going on, right? Not at this point. Right. So you see what I'm saying? Like, I could see that being a reason sure. to, like, So But, like, ATF wouldn't go out for that. No. Hmm. Yeah. I feel weird even saying, oh, why am I even saying I don't know. This? I'm very, I, I'm very. You feel, you feel weird? I feel weird. <laughs> oh. Don't yeah. feel okay. weird. All right. After their, their surveillance was complete, um, the ATF sought and obtained search and arrest warrants for Koresh and other followers on weapons charges, noting not only the amount, but the possibility of illegal firearms that the group had accumulated. So again, okay. So yeah. So you're breaking the law. I see. Okay. So this is making sense to me. Okay. Yeah. Um, in true, like it's chaos down here, Tom fashion, (laughs) Emily, I can't even begin to tell you the circus, that like this raid, how this all started. I love it. Does should HR Sarah have been here checking some some forms, making making sure everyone was in compliance? Little Sprinkle could have handled this better. I mean, okay, and he's a toddler. 
He likes organization. He's an organized guy. He likes. He gets it from his aunt. From his mom and his dad. But, you know. All right. So the raid was originally planned for Monday, March 1st, 1993, under the code name Showtime, because even the ATF loves a little bit of dramatic flair. However, because we cannot have anything nice, the date was later pushed up to February 28th in response to that Waco Tribune Herald series on Koresh, Uh which the ATF had tried and clearly failed to prevent from being published. Interesting. Naturally, any element of surprise was completely shot to hell, no pun intended, when a KWTX TV reporter who had been tipped off about the raid stopped a mailman to ask for directions to the compound. Stop it. The mailman, it gets worse. The mailman was Koresh's brother in law, <laughs> because of course he was. Like, what are we doing here? Again, like, play the, 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 the twiddly D music, because, like, this is a circus. Oh, so like, so Nancy with her big reporter hair and her microphone was like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, sir. I think um, it was the, a guy. The, yeah, I think it was a man, but yeah. The, the raid? The ra- yeah, yeah, raid. Could you point me in the direction of the raid at the, the Mount Carmel compound, please? Would, would you like to offer a comment, sir? So mail me inside, sheep in the door, <laughs> runs straight back to Koresh and is like, uh, the ATF is raiding us, right? Oh my God. <laughs> Eaten. Who to- who told this reporter? Unreal. Okay. So despite Great. the circus of it all, the ATF commander orders we're we're moving ahead. Despite like despite being informed that the Branch Davidians were made more than well aware of what was happening. Like and so like let's go back to like putting yourself. I cannot imagine being an ATF agent on my way to the compound, knowing not only that these people knew I was coming, mm-hmm. but also what they had at their disposal. That's so I mean, scary. like, again, yeah. all jokes aside, like, that has to be absolutely devastatingly terrifying. Well, and that, like, they were doing this for ideological reasons. Like, I remember so clearly when I was studying for my degree, I took a class on um, terrorism. And I'll never forget this. Our professor told us, the most dangerous person in the world is a person who's acting out of the belief that they are doing it for their God. Because one thousand percent. Because nothing will scare them. Death doesn't nothing. scare them. Not, right. And it and that's how you get these these radical terrorist organizations based in religions, because mm-hmm. someone who thinks they're doing it on the orders of God cannot be stopped. Does yeah. not care. So I'm thinking of that, too, of like, if I'm driving into this compound as an ATF person, I'm thinking not only do they have all these weapons, but they have nothing to lose. Nothing. Yeah. I I mean, I know that we, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, uh, yeah. So at 9.45 a.m., the raid begins. If you are team ATF, then you state that you heard gunshots coming from within the compound. If you're Team Branch Davidian, you claim the first shots came from ATF agents outside. Now, remember, they're going, the ATF agents are going to do a job. They have a warrant to serve, right? They went to work that day. That's right. Okay. Now, if your team sisters take a side, you're singing, they both reach for the gun in your head because they there's both, no. They both, they both, they both reach for <laughs> the gun, the gun, the gun. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, who shot first? I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think that's an answer we're ever going to have. I, you know, who it depends on who you talk to. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, okay. 
these assholes shot these guys. Like, are you kidding? Like, these Branch Davidians shot first. Of course they did. Again, because they have nothing to lose. What do they care? Mm-hmm. That's a great. I love that you said that because I think that's a fantastic point. And I think we're going to get back to that in a little bit. Um, So I'm doing something I do a lot. <laughs> I'm making a lot of jokes to avoid, like, the absolute just, like, horror of the whole thing. Mm. By 11.30 a.m. when ceasefire, a ceasefire was announced by ATF. ATF was oh, like, wow. we got, this has to stop. Yeah. Okay. Four ATF agents had been killed and mm. another 17 were grievously injured. Five wow. Branch Davidians were killed. And later that day, a sixth was killed by an ATF agent. Koresh himself was actually injured during this gunfight, but was still able to manage um, a interview with CNN that evening, as well as an interview with KRLD, which is a Texas news affiliate in Dallas. Oh, okay. What, from a payphone in prison? What are, what are we doing? What do you mean? He, what, like called him? So, what the fuck? ATF. So, they were not able. How do I put this? Um, There was a, there, there was a, a, a gun. Yeah, I, what am I doing here? What am I trying out? to say? Yeah, Guns? there was like yeah. a, there was a shootout. ATF called it off because they needed they needed to go yeah. in and get their men out. Um, well, so then how did so now my mind's going to logistics. How does that work? Are they able? They're like entering the compound and they're able to safely like they were able to call the compound. They were able to get on the phone with someone from inside the compound what? and basically say, "Listen, like we stop." We won't shoot any more of your people if you don't shoot any okay. more of ours. We need to go in. We need to get our people and like. And that's what they did. And that's what they did. Okay, I'm sorry. If you could have reached these guys by phone, maybe try that first. Well, you can't serve someone a warrant over the phone. That's what I'm saying. They went in there to. They were. Knock knock. <laughs> Hi. Um, are you David Koresh? Okay, you've been served. That's what they were going to do, essentially. Now, okay, well, I don't know. <laughs> they went to work that day. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not blaming the ATF. I mean, you're doing your fucking job, but like, you, you could, I don't. Okay, I'm, I guess I'm like, this guy has a phone. He's calling CNN. What is? What's oh, happening? girl, it gets so much worse. I thought he was living on a compound because he was God, and what? But he's got a phone. He, what? This compound has cell service. What's <laughs> happening? It was the 90s. It was a landline. I guess. I, okay. I don't know. He has a landline on his compound? Great. I don't know. All right. Whatever. Sorry. All right. AT&T on. Emily is just on the case. Well, I don't, I can barely get service in my townhouse in 2023. I can't service in Wegmans, but you're telling me David Koresh <laughs> service at Mount Carmel? Come on. I have to get on CNN? Like, all right. Okay. Well, continue, I guess. All right. So, so begins this 51-day standoff. Okay, great. The FBI obviously, of course, immediately takes over. The FBI hostage rescue team moves armored vehicles to a nearby abandoned farmhouse in order to tighten their perimeter. Can and I the stop, FBI I'm sorry, can I stop you for sorry, I'm sorry. Stop you for a second. What? So, I don't. I'm. Why was it considered a standoff? Because they wanted to still serve this warrant, like they wanted him to surrender himself. Or they had taken ATF and law enforcement hostage. My brain stopped working. Repeat that question. <laughs> Sorry. Why was Sorry. Why was I this considered a, 
why was this considered a standoff? Because they were, they didn't want to leave until they arrested this guy, David, or is it because David and his crew had like taken law enforcement hostage? Like why didn't ATF and law enforcement just be like, all right, girl, bye. We'll try this again later. Because they still, because they needed to serve this federal warrant because they needed to get the the firearms. And then now he's killing police officers, holding people. Yeah. Now, now, now they've killed four federal agents. Now, I mean, they can't, and not to mention, like, this has been, this is broadcast all over national, the, 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 the shootout was broadcasted on TV. Yeah. Okay. So they, I see. So it's, I'm so stupid. I'm like, well, I just like go home. I'd be like, oh, well, that didn't work. I guess we'll just try again later. What are we doing here? Okay. So so, I'm so sorry. Continue. That's okay. No, that's okay. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So the FBI hostage rescue team moves armored vehicles. Uh, the FBI crisis negotiation unit, which was, um, headed by Gary Nosner, I think is his last name. Mm -hmm. They took over all hostage negotiating with Koresh over the phone. Now, remember, there are still a lot of people, women and children included, on this compound. To compound, no pun intended, the problem, (laughs) these people who, you know, again, like to your point, they are, they so thoroughly believe in the the mission, you know, the Messiah who will see them through the apocalypse that they don't want to leave despite being held hostage, if you can call it that, by Koresh. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, like they believe so wholeheartedly in this thing that like they were staying put they were not coming out right remember we talked about how Koresh being their messiah he was the only one who could save them when the apocalypse inevitably like unfolds right. on their doorstep well like the apocalypse literally knocked on their door dressed in atf jackets right yeah i mean mind. this fed into exactly what he told exactly them exactly what happen. he told them right yeah. like we have to be prepared because someone's going to come for us yeah so yeah. like this makes this a very difficult situation for um you know the the crisis negotiation unit the hostage rescue unit i mean this puts an even bigger pressure and spotlight on this whole operation but they stuck with it Um, the crisis negotiation team worked with Koresh and his closest advisors day in and day out to negotiate a peaceful end to this. Mm -hmm. Um, in the first few days, they kind of thought they had made a breakthrough. Koresh agreed that the Branch Davidians would leave the compound in return for a message recorded by him because, of course, being broadcast on national radio. So, records his message, all about the end of times and God and this religious message. Mm-hmm. broadcasted and then crash goes mm, nah yeah <laughs> sorry god said god instructed him to remain in the building and wait well of course a little bit of good news 21 children and two women were ultimately released from the compound um that's like a grand total it was over like a couple days but okay yeah ultimately no. like the grand total was 21 children and two women were ultimately eventually released from the compound Um, it's really kind of like, like what we're not talking about yet is like the massive breakdowns in communication that were like happening on all sides throughout this, you know, what Mm -hmm. what was it? 51 days. Right. So a couple examples. So like on day seven of the standoff, 
The FBI hostage rescue team commander, Dick Rogers, calls the negotiation room and says that the Branch Davidians are pointing a 50 caliber sniper rifle at their team. Oh, shit. Naturally, Rogers was like, uh, you need to tell them that they need to get that out of that window now or we are taking action. Like, the hostage rescue team was like the guys. Like, they were going in and doing it, right? Like, yeah. Um, Which, like – you know, yeah, that makes sense. So then the negotiators get on the phone and they talk to Steve Schneider, who was a lieutenant to Koresh, which like, what, what the actual hell? I hate, this, I hate this guy. Okay. And he's like, 50 caliber. I don't know her. <laughs> and the negotiator was like, okay, girl, thanks. Bye. And like, then no one knew where that 50 caliber was again. Jesus Which Christ. like is not good for anyone. Right. Right. Right? Like, like, <sighs> so... On day nine, Koresh tells negotiators, we're ready for war. Oh, Jesus. The hostage rescue team, clearly not thrilled with this idea. They're like, oh, my God, I'm on overtime already. I got to obtain these guys time and a half. (laughs) No, the hostage rescue team who's like, like, we're getting it done. Yeah. They decided to bring in military Abrams tanks from Fort Hood. Dang. So while the tank of it all is happening, the negotiation team is like, trying out another strategy and they're like well we'll start sending video footage of the released children to the branch davidian parents who are still in the compound (laughs) right and this actually kind of works eventually kathy schroeder who was like a big like she was kind of high up in like the following Mm -hmm. of it all she she leaves the compound to be reunited with her child who mind you is like younger than little sprinkle like stop it i can't i cannot I cannot. So she leaves, is immediately arrested. Like, she can, like, hug her child. kind of in bad faith. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Kind of in bad faith. Exactly. Because the the FBI is like, you know, hey, like, like, please come out. Like, no one will hurt you or your children. Like, and then you immediately arrest someone. Like, yeah, you're going to erode, like, some trust here. Right? Yeah, I feel especially because, and I'm just assuming, but like she came out. I'm assuming she wasn't armed. She right, wasn't exactly swinging a gun. Like so, just let just yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. don't let her like run off into the wilderness, but like you don't maybe need to arrest her. Anyways, okay. Yeah, I think a good way to kind of sum it up is um, so Lee Hancock. She was a reporter for the Dallas Morning News. Um, she was in this, the documentary I watched. Absolutely love her. She's she's quoted as saying the breakdown in communication between negotiators and the hostage rescue team plagued this operation from start to finish. And it yeah. completely did. Like it like hands down 100% did. Um so yeah, even with like the tanks and the Sarah McLaughlin videos tugging yeah. at all the heartstrings, in this surrender was not <laughs> this surrender was not happening fast enough. The hostage rescue team started using increasingly more aggressive techniques, such as sleep deprivation by means of all-night broadcasts of loud noises and pop music. All I could what? hear in my head was, like, in sync, just blaring Stop. at sleep-depriving levels across, like, a gigantic Texas field. I love it so I don't think much. that's exactly what they meant by pop music, but, like, it's the 90s. Well, <laughs> this is amazing. They're playing, like, Thriller. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and cutting all the electricity to the compound, all of these techniques they tried to use to get the Branch Davidians out. Cutting electricity. That's a good one. 
Because apparently he's in there making phone calls to CNN. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, Koresh eventually does actually force a group of 11 followers to leave, who, of course, Mm. were, like, all promptly arrested as material witnesses. Um, One of those 11 was actually charged with conspiracy to murder. Because, like, don't forget, we still have four, you know, federal agents who died in the, the line of duty. Like, you know, we have to, we have to do something here. So, uh, all right. This I just is, feel like I'm not going to like this part. I just tell by the look on your face. I'm you're not. I'm you already, really you already sorry. got me with the, oh, we're sending videos of people's kids to that. Like, Yeah. It's about <sighs> to get exponentially worse. So okay. this is your warning. Okay. On April 19th, U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno approved recommendations made by the FBI to mount an assault on Mount Carmel. Explosives were used to puncture holes in the walls of the buildings on the main compound so tear gas could be pumped in in the hopes of flushing the Branch Davidians out without causing harm. This did not happen. Around 12 p.m., three fires broke out in three separate sections of the main compound. They spread incredibly quickly. The government maintains to this day, that the, I think, that the fires were deliberately set by Branch Davidians. Others including surviving Branch Davidians, believe that the fires were deliberately set by the FBI. Hmm. To be completely honest here, I do not believe we'll ever get an answer to that. Yeah. Only nine people in the compound left the building during the fire. 76 Branch Davidians, including children, were killed in or because of the fire. It's a lot of people. And was it, it, like, as in... They were trapped and couldn't get out, or they chose not to leave. Mm, you see what I'm saying? Both. Yeah. So smoke inhalation, yeah. the building collapsing around them. It was a, the building was a total loss. I hate this. I don't like this at all. Yeah. What about what about pets? Were there pets there? I don't know, but that's a good question. I would assume so. No. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry. No, this is terrible. Okay. I, know. I this sucks. Did this did this asshole David die at least? Bye. He did. Okay, yeah, good. He's gone. Get out of here. See you, See you later. So to close this out here, following the just I mean it, it's it's a horrible tragedy. Like it that is sucks. just yeah. It's horrible. Um and obviously very extensive investigation took place. Uh the events that happened here transformed the way federal officials conducted future operational tactics, like, because, yeah, I would hope so. In August 1990, a federal grand jury indicted 12 members of the surviving Branch Davidians for aiding and abetting the murder of four federal Mm -hmm. agents, along with the unlawful possession of firearms. Four members were acquitted. The remaining eight were convicted, but only for the firearms-related offenses. By 2007, all members had been released from prison. Wow. Nothing remains of the original compound, but a new Branch Davidians community now exists on the property, and they no are called way. Branch, the Lord, our righteousness. Okay, great. Are they like a creepy cult, or are they normal? No idea, but, mm. you know. Yeah, I don't love that. The Lord, our righteousness? I don't, I don't love it. No, don't, don't love that. Good. Don't no. get warm fuzzies from that. No, don't love that. So that's it. That that's a very and I will admit, um, for as much as I like was so proud of my notes, it is kind of a very high overview 
No, these ones were great. Here. No, this, these ones were great. This was <sighs> okay. So, what do you think? Like, tell me what you think, and then tell me, like, so do you think believing in something as hard as the Branch Davidians believed in it in their religion justified what happened here? I I take the side that people should have the freedom to express their religions as long as it's not harming other people. And I think in this situation, the practicing of their religion harmed other people. And I think that that makes it not okay. Um, I think a hundred percent, I'm taking the side of that the Branch Davidians set those fires a hundred percent. Cause again, back to, they had nothing to lose. I think that asshole David set those fires and said, this is the apocalypse. I told you this was coming. This is our time. We're all going to die and be together again in the afterlife or whatever the fuck they believed. So I think there's no doubt in my mind that the, they set the fire. Um, Cause again, ATF has something to lose. The, these, these right. branch Davidians did not. Um, so I definitely take that side. I, you know, and I guess, uh, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the ATF did the best they could. I, I think in so many ways, there is no rationalizing with people driven by this kind of ideology. Mm-hmm. Again, because I feel like I I'm agree just repeating with myself, but yeah. because they have nothing to lose, they don't care. What, yeah. You're going to threaten to kill them? Cool. That's what they want. Like, they don't care. They're with their messiah. Right. Right. Exactly. So I don't think ATF had any other choices. I think they did what they could. And and I think it was the Branch Davidians that set those fires and killed all those people. Um, yeah. So, do you think ATF should have – I mean, like, do you think that they should have gone ahead with this the way that they did? See, I don't think they had a choice. Once it got leaked, yeah. what were they going to do? Wait a week and be like, oh, I hope they forget. Like, yeah, they didn't have true. a choice. Like, I think it was then or never. They, they had to yeah. have – once it was leaked, I think that that puts the urgency on it even more. Right? Yeah. I think that's a good point. What yeah. What side do you take on this? Yeah. So, you know, and I, I've been thinking about this. I think that it's – very difficult for people who don't have that type of belief. And so, imagine mm-hmm. believing in something so strongly yeah. that you are willing to allow your child to walk away from you. You're willing yeah. to you're 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 willing to be in that kind of space because you because you believe in it so hard. Yeah. I have never believed in something that hard in my entire no. life. I, I I don't have a point of reference for it. <clears throat> but so I think it makes it difficult for us to to say, why did you stay? Well, but see, I don't because we do believe in things that much. It's just not religion. We believe oh. in love and we believe in right. So like I think like I'm thinking, okay, so it's you know, it's not a religious belief that would make me whatever like yeah. jump in front of a train right it's it's not that for me but i would jump in front of a train for the love of my child right like if it to protect my child so to, if you if you may if you put 
the compound and the Branch Davidians as your train, you're saying. Right. right. You like could I see it that way. Yeah, like I believe you see what I mean. Like I yeah. am so okay. That's that's I'm that's a so good point. moved by and you know, let's say the love I have for my children, and I believe in that love so much. I would do anything to protect that love or to honor that love. Right? To mm-hmm. I would give myself up to honor that love. You mm-hmm. see what I mean? Mm-hmm. But for these people, it was their, it was religion. It was their belief in, in God or have whatever, mm-hmm. you know, their ideology yeah. was. Uh, I mean, the, that mom, um, Schroeder, what was her, what was it Susan? Karen, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The mom that was released and then or yeah. she left and then was arrested. She's quoted in this documentary as saying something along the lines of like, well, I wasn't a mother. I was God's. Mm. disciple I, like yeah. something along the lines of like well me, I, I wasn't a mother I was a follower of God mm. see and that's what I have a hard time wrapping my mind around because there is nothing that pre- precedes like my identity as a mother there's nothing right. that comes before that but obviously for these parents there was something more mm-hmm. important to them there than their identity as a mother where like my identity stops there like that is yeah. that's, you, see, you yeah. know what I mean a hundred percent um yeah i you know do i think believing in something as hard as they believed in their religion justified what happened here uh personally no yeah i don't yeah but i also have come from a different mindset yeah again like i don't you know i don't believe what they believe so yeah it's hard for me to say does it justify what they did i mean for me, it doesn't, but I'm also, you know, if you ask, if you, if you ask someone who had that same belief, maybe, I don't know. I mean, do you think that, who do you think set the fires? Oh, I think the Branch Davidians set the fires. Yeah. Yeah. They were going to go out in a blaze of glory, whether, yep. you know. Like, I'm sorry, there's no way ATF lit a building full of children on fire. There's no way. But see, some people will say, well, they had no problem tear gassing them. Well, but to tear gas is very different than to... Agreed, but... Yeah. And I guess you could make that, well, they shot guns into a compound that had children in it. That had children in it. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks, man. It's awful. I don't like that. It's awful. Um, I do recommend the documentary. I think the documentary is very good. I think they Mm -hmm. did a good job at trying to give everyone's point of view. And they did an excellent job at showcasing, you know, do I think, do I think ATF was in the wrong? No. Do I think, do I think the way that they did it was wrong? Yes. Maybe not ATF specifically, but like FBI, get your shit together. Yeah. Yeah. In this instance, I'm sure you probably have since then. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, they, the, the, the the miscommunication, they bungled this so, they messed this up so badly. Like. This could have yeah. been done so differently had everyone been communicating. Maybe they needed an HR, Sarah. I don't know. I'm t- they I'm needed saying. something. I don't know. <laughs> they needed something because it was just – it could have been done so much better. Yeah. And I don't think that's 2023 hindsight either. No. No. I think I think when you listen to some of these people talk in this documentary, they, they knew it then. They right. knew that, like, the communication was a massive breakdown then. Well, and but I guess to give them the benefit of the doubt, they, I mean, this was an unprecedented situation. Sure. Right. Sure. But look at the cost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
I know. That sucks. I don't like it. I don't like it. Girl, your notes were so good on this oh, one. Oh, thanks. I'm so yeah. proud of you. Good it's job. weird to say, like, I actually really liked doing this. I know you've been telling it's so me tragic. All, you've been telling me all week. You're like, I can't wait to record. This one's so good. I know. It was really good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it was sad. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't love this. You don't love it. It makes you feel heavy. I do feel You need heavy. a nap. <laughs> I'm going to go downstairs and eat a cookie after this. Oh. Perk, perk me up a little. Perk you up a little. Uh, well, excellent job, my friend. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for following me on this journey. I know we went down a couple rabbit holes and the you subject matter I, was a little dense. You know I love but... that. You know I'm here for that. I got you. Um, do you want to hear our listener question for this week? Uh, I do. Great. Um, can you tell the people where they can send us listener questions? Um, yes, you can send us listener questions to our email at sisters.take.a.side at gmail.com or on our Instagrams at sisterstakeaside underscore podcast. Fabulous. Um, okay, so um, our question this week actually came um, from an email. Okay. It says, okay, loving you guys and absolutely loving your loving sister you. language. <laughs> loving you. Loving you, friend. But what does it mean? <laughs> what is a little sprinkle and what is a Tomothy? <laughs> okay, this is so funny. I've had people who know me in real life say, yeah. is is your husband's name really Tomothy? And I'm like, fuck, no. Okay, so, uh, this is so embarrassing. Do, you, okay. do we want to go into this? Okay, so my my husband's name is Thomas, and we call him Tom. Um, Tomothy is just like a little inside joke between Sarah and I. We think it's like funny to call Tom Tomothy, but no, everyone in my husband's life, including Sarah and my family, call him Tom. Um, so I, the amount of people that have asked me like if his full name is Tomothy, it yeah. makes me laugh. I don't even think he knows we call him that on this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's never listened to an episode of this. <laughs> um, and then little, so I don't know. And I don't know why, like I knew when we started this podcast, I was never, I didn't want to share my last name. Right. Sure. Just because like of my job, I just don't, you know, yeah. which is fine. I don't, I also thought maybe I didn't want to share the kids first names. I'm not really sure why. Cause like, I'm not sure that that matters all that much, but we thought it'd be funny to call them Little Sprinkle and Little Meatball because Sarah sometimes calls them that as like nicknames. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get—I mean, I, don't, I guess there's no reason not to say it. my my oldest son. His name is Henry. That's who we call. He's little my Sprinkle. little Sprinkle. Yeah, um, he's two and a half and is just like the light of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, Little Meatball is Owen. He is 11 months old. And he just like completes our family and is my best friend. And <sighs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I am obsessed with both of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how those little nicknames came around. I just thought it was funny to call them all that. But yeah, the amount of confusion that that has caused, the amount of people that think poor Tom's real name is Tomothy is outstanding. I know. Yeah, so we think, like, when we decided to do this, we wanted to keep, like, 
our podcast life and our yeah. real life like very separate. <laughs> um, so we do have a lot of like you know SHBF and Tomothy and Little Sprinkle. Like we have a lot of like little. Yeah, I don't think you said your boyfriend's name on the show. No, I haven't. But you know what you did do. Okay, we need to address this. So I went to a Nationals game with my super hot boyfriend, Phil, on Sunday. Great time. Go Nats. We had a fantastic time at the ballpark. Did you? Because you have a blister on your face (laughs) from that adventure. Mine is that. But we had a great time. Um, The Nats won. So, like, great. Yay. Um... But I, so people, if you don't know, when you have two Instagram accounts, a public, uh, well, not public, but a a personal and then a podcast, you can actually have them on like the same Instagram tile on your iPhone. Indeed. I am now a hundred years old. I did not realize when I was posting a picture of said baseball game with said super hot boyfriend that I accidentally posted it on the sisters take a side Instagram instead of... My personal Instagram. And you Because I'm a hot dummy. And yes. So apologies. Don't know what I was doing, clearly. Um, But yeah. Someone someone, um, messaged us and was like, oh my God, I actually loved it. Yeah, they're like, I love the Nats. We're like, that's too, girl. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what that was. Um, I will be better. That's okay. So yeah, for any like particularly eagle-eyed podcast fans there, (laughs) they might have figured out who Sarah's boyfriend is in real life since she tagged him in a post on Instagram. Um, But yeah, no, we just kind of, I don't know, it's maybe silly, but like we just, yeah, keep our personal lives. Well, you can tell we grew up, you can tell we grew up before like the internet was really a thing because like we're so like internet wary, like, oh, don't like- don't give too much away. You know? I, know. <laughs> I know. Well, and I just, and especially with the kids, like, I don't know. Like, oh what if yeah. In, with the kids for 20 sure. 20 years, this is still existing in some format. And the kids listen to it and are like, really mom? Like you were talking about me? Yeah. I'm actually, oh, maybe we should um, put this out there one day. We, a couple of times, like the kids have interrupted us recording mm-hmm. and I have recorded footage of both the kids yeah. on mic and Oh, maybe it is actually really precious on their 18th birthday so we can like play that for them or something yeah <laughs> or i mean owen's yeah owen's birthday is coming i guys owen's turning one in like two weeks and- emily can't handle it listener <sighs> emily cannot handle it okay i'm not okay send lots of t's and p's to our sweet emily can I tell you something? I'm going to tell you this in real time right now. Mm-hmm. So tell me everything. I just opened up our sister take aside email address just yeah. to like poke around. A sweet listener. I'm not, I'm not even kidding you. A sweet listener just wrote in asking if they could volunteer and help with research. What? Girl, we're going to call you. You're hired. Girl, get ready for a message back <laughs> immediately. Isn't that so nice? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So guys, we do check this email. We love that you all reach out to us. It makes our day. So please, yeah, reach out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Questions. Love the questions. We'll do another one next week. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to hear what we're covering next week? I that? was just getting ready to ask you, actually. You read my mind. Okay. I think what I'm going to do next week, and I'm actually kind of going between two cases, so I might change my mind. So... I'm either going to do, I'm either going to cover the Menendez brothers 
which would be good, right? Mm-hmm. There's or, news in that case recently. There's news in that case, so that would be good. Or I'm going to cover Missy Beavers. Do you know anything about oh, that case? Oh, yes. Out? <gasps> I know. I feel like that's kind of a spooky one. Like, could be fun. Oh, snap. And I feel like we've done a lot of popular ones lately. So, like, I kind of want to do a lesser known one. See? Okay. I might do Missy Beavers next week. We'll see. Okay. We'll see where the mood takes me. Ooh. And we have to get um, John on the line. Oh, yeah. John is going to come on to... Are we going to share what case he's talking about? No, let's wait. We'll keep it a secret. Okay. Um, yeah, John is going to come on. At some point, we'll do siblings take a side. Yeah. Here soon, because... Otherwise, it's going to be a... <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. John yeah. is going to another country for, like, two months here soon. So we should probably work that out. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, all right. Well, we love you guys. Thank you yeah. so much for listening today and sticking with us through yeah. it all. Um, uh, rating, review. Yes. Um, and Apple Podcasts, reviewer. Still haven't heard from you, girl. Write in. I love you. You love be, you. Be friends with me. Watch. You. It was probably it was probably Tom. All right. Tomothy, I'm going to need you. Tom was like, this podcast isn't as great as Emily talks about and makes it seem. <laughs> wow. Well, okay. on that note. Well, on that note. Uh, Enjoy your I'm, cookie. <laughs> I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And this is Sisters Take a Side.